this morning. If I've never had the privilege of meeting you, my name is Kyron. Uh, it's an absolute privilege to be able to share with you this morning. Um, just before I start, I do want to give one word of warning since Colin's here. I feel like I can say this. I feel every time Colin asks you to preach in church, you need to be careful because the chances are it will include the name of a place or a person that you have absolutely no idea how to pronounce. So just be careful whenever Colin asks you to preach. Uh, as Kieran and Morgan said, this is our last Sunday here at 180 Queens Park Drive before next week we move down to the hall. Uh, if you haven't, if you don't know, we're just about to start the renovation on the big building behind you, our main auditorium, um, building for the future. Uh, I've really been praying into this sort of time that we move. I'm someone who doesn't really like change. I don't really embrace change very well. And so sometimes change can be a hard thing, and maybe that's true for you as well. But in praying um, about this move, I really felt God encourage me, and I want to encourage you guys, that I feel like this next season that we're going to uh, endeavor in as a church is going to be one which we'll look back on in years to come and just see God's goodness and God's rich, richness in that. I feel like the bonds between us are going to grow stronger as we both, as we all embrace getting out of our comfort zone and into the unknown together. So I just really want to encourage you, continue to come along. Even though we're in a different building, it's still the same church, same God, and same family here. As a church, we've been working through the book of Luke as a preaching series, um, and today is no different. I absolutely love the gospel of Luke. It's one of my favorites uh, for two reasons. Number one is that Luke was a doctor, and I just find it absolutely miraculous that anyone was able to understand the doctor's handwriting and translate it into what we have today as the book of Luke. But point number two, and probably on a more serious point, um, when Luke set out to write the book of Luke, or what we now call the book of Luke in Acts, his whole sole purpose was to give an orderly account of the things that Jesus fulfilled through as many eyewitness accounts as he could. I'll say that again because that's quite a mouthful. When Luke wrote what we now call the book of Luke, his whole sole purpose was to give an orderly account of the miracles and things that Jesus fulfilled through as many eyewitness accounts as he could. And to me, that just screams of credibility, the fact that it's based on what people saw, not just stories passed down generation by generation. It's things of a factual nature and a credible nature. And so I think as we read through the book of Luke and carrying on in the weeks to come, as we continue to do that, we can have faith that what we read was actually experienced and seen by other people. And I just think that's an absolutely incredible fact. Um, two weeks ago, Anita did an incredible job preaching from Luke 8, the start of Luke 8, uh, on the parable of the sower. And today is no different. I'm going to be carrying on Luke 8, starting at verse 26. This is a story which is full of uh, so much goodness and so much hope for us as a church, and I pray that God will impart that hope into you today. So if you have your Bible, feel free to turn to Luke 8, 26 with me. Uh, the story is titled, Jesus Restores a Demon-Possessed Man. And this starts off with Jesus and his disciples on a boat. Um, they're sailing from Galilee to the Gerasenes, which is in Gentile territory. Now, just to do a bit of Background info, I googled where this took place, uh, and it actually turns out that no one knows where this demon-possessed man was restored. It was somewhere on the east coast 
of the lake, but if, apparently if you were to go over there and take a tour around to where, um, you know, to go see where Jesus performed all these miracles, uh, they would apparently point you to about three or four locations as to where it could have been based on what we know. I think the real important thing here, though, is not where it took place, but why it took place. You see, this isn't the first time that Jesus heals anyone in the Bible. It's not the first time that Jesus casts out any demons in the Bible. What's important about this one is it's the first time that any miracle takes place in Gentile territory. And this, for us here today, I think just emphasizes the point that God isn't a God just for a select few people. God is a God for everyone. He's for the Jews and the Gentiles. And I think as we carry on reading through this verse today, if we just remember that, that God is a God for all, not just a select few, but God of all. And so we carry on reading down into verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had worn, not worn clothes, or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want from me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had not broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied because demons, many demons, had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. I just want to kind of paint a picture for you to start off with of what the disciples and Jesus would have seen uh, when they arrived on shore. I don't think it would have been a very pretty scene of what they would have seen. The first thing they probably would have experienced is some wailing or screaming from this demon-possessed man. And I'm not talking about like a a nice screaming, you know, when the All Blacks are running up to the try line and everyone's cheering. I'm talking about sort of a screaming that probably stays in your mind and keeps you awake at night. Something that you can't kind of shake out of your head. The next thing they would have seen is a probably quite crazy looking unkept man running towards them, fully naked. And to them, this probably would have been something quite unusual. It would be quite unusual to us as well, to be fair. But to them, this was probably something which they hadn't experienced before. And probably more disgusting to them was the fact that this man was living amongst tombs or graveyards, something which signifies to them uncleanness. They probably didn't really want to be there, let alone be near the man. But what we see is the man running to Jesus. And the first thing he says is this. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torture me. For this man, when Jesus showed up, his first reaction wasn't something of love or adoration. It was something of fear. I think that he knew and the demons knew their position in the presence of Jesus. And when I was reading this, I was reminded of a conversation I had with one of my friends back at high school. His whole struggle around following um, Jesus and why he didn't want to become a Christian was around the fact that he had his life so perfectly planned out, he knew exactly what he wanted to do and when he wanted to do it. And he was scared that if he he started following Jesus, that Jesus would have more authority over his life, and therefore he couldn't live the life the way that he wanted to live it. And I was kind of reflecting upon that fact and how true that is uh, is is in society. 
the fact that people kind of get scared around people who have more authority than them. I think there's something um, kind of ingrained in us which teaches us to fear authority. You just need to look at someone walking or driving past a policeman to know that we can fear authority and the power that they have. But I think it's different when Jesus, his authority isn't something to be unhealthily feared. I think it's something that we should embrace. The fact that Jesus, and when we become Christians, give Jesus authority over our life, isn't something that we should fear. Life with Jesus is so much better than life we could ever do on our own. And I think that's something that we should embrace, not be feared, fearful of. The next part of the verse is where Jesus talks to the man and asks him, what is your name? You see here, the man identifies himself as legion because of the demons within him. The reason I think Jesus asked this man his name wasn't necessarily for information. Jesus is an all-knowing God. I think it was more for revelation, and I'll explain that a bit more in depth. Last week, we had a uh, family wedding, and we had a few of the relatives down. And it was an awesome celebration of love and life. And I was talking to one of our family members um, from Wellington, who was a non-Christian, and I was talking about church um, and how we were just about to do go into our building season and how I was preaching this week. Um, and she was talking and asking me what I was preaching on. And I explained to her I was preaching on Jesus healing a demon-possessed man. Now, I don't even know if she believes in Jesus, believes in demons, or believes that Jesus can heal demons. <laughs> but she asked me essentially what the verse was about. And rather than trying to explain it, I said, well, why don't you reach, uh, read it? I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. So she read it, and upon finishing it, I asked her to reflect on it and what she thought of it. And, you know, I was blown away by what she said. I, w I thought she was going to say something like, hey, that's a cool story, like it's kind of cool that you believe it. What she said was quite profound. She said, I think this is a story that everybody needs to hear, especially in New Zealand. You see, New Zealand has some alarming uh, statistics around mental health and suicide. This story speaks of hope. It talks of a man who was lost, who was living among the dead, who didn't know his identity, yet he was fully restored when he met Jesus. And I was just blown away by the fact that she read that and thought that, wow, this is a story that people need to hear. The fact that there is hope, the fact that your life can turn around. Um, and as I said, she was talking about mental health in New Zealand. And one thing that she said, which I found really interesting, was that when this man is asked what his name is, he doesn't identify as who he was born as. He identifies who he was in that situation. He identifies with the struggle that he's having, which is with the demons and obviously, the legion. And I think that's so true in society. Sometimes we can lose sight of who we are in the middle of hard times, and we start labeling ourselves, and we start identifying not as the son and the children of God that we are, but as what is going wrong. We are more than just the situation we are in. We are more than just the season of life we are facing. We are more than just the chapter of life we are in. We are children of God, and we have a loving Father in heaven who will never leave us nor forsake us in those moments. And I think that's such an incredible thing to remember, is that you are more than your situation. You are a loved child of God. And then we get into the, the weird part of the verse. And if anyone ever tells you that the Bible is weird, I give you, uh, that the Bible is a boring old book, I give you full permission to lead them here to verse 34, because uh, verse 32, because I tell you the Bible is way weirder than we ever give it credit for. <laughs> What we see here, and I'll read it to you, 
A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. That seems pretty straightforward. When the demons came out of the man, they went to the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and left. The man whom the demons had gone out, gone out, begged, uh, the man whom the demons had gone out, begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, "Return home and tell how much God has done for you." So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Crazy. <laughs> I think, though, when we're considering this verse, and it's quite a powerful verse, it speaks of hope and restoration. What's really important is to consider the story before this. And so if you would, I just want to read the first four verses before we get here. Luke 8:22 onwards. This is the part of the message that I've called the storm before the miracle or Jesus calming the storm. It's only short, but it's very powerful. Here it goes. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got in the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. He commands even the winds and the waves, and they obey him. You've got to remember that when Luke was writing this account of the gospel, he didn't break it down into the pretty little chapters that we have today. He was just writing based on what people had told him and based on what they had seen. I would imagine that when Luke was writing this, this was meant to be one story, not two. And what we have here is Jesus calling his disciples to go on a journey with him. He tells them to get in the boat and go that they're going to the other side. He tells them where they're going, but he tells them, tell them why they're going. And I was reflecting upon this in my own life. I think sometimes Jesus gives us only part of the story of where he wants us to go. If he gave us the whole story all at once, I think it would probably overwhelm us and fear us. I think we need to have the faith that when Jesus tells us where we're going, but doesn't tell us why we're going, we still must go. But in my own life, sometimes I want, to know, I want to know all the information. I was saying before how I kind of don't really like change. It's quite a scary process. And therefore, I kind of want to know all the facts before I take that first step. But I think what Jesus is saying here is something quite different. He's telling these disciples where they're going, but he doesn't tell them why. And I think if he told them why they were going, that they were going over to heal a demon-possessed Gentile, I think they probably would have freaked out and had double thought uh, getting in that boat. The other part that I want to make is that these disciples, they feared when they got in the middle of the, in the storm. You see, what we have here, 
I don't think it's just any natural storm that happened on the lake, although storms were quite common on the lake. What I think here we have here is the enemy trying to stop Jesus' plan. You might ask why I think that. How, how do you know that this isn't just some natural storm? I'll read to you again from verse 24. The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Jesus got up and rebuked the wind. I don't think that Jesus just rebukes any natural elements. I think he rebukes the enemy. And what we have here is the enemy knowing that this demon-possessed man was going to be incredibly powerful in the kingdom of God. This man goes on, and as it says in the last part of the verse, go and tell the towns what God has done. This man becomes the first Gentile missionary and ultimately probably ends up, that probably ultimately ends up leading to you and I being saved. The enemy knew the value that this person had to the kingdom of God and therefore tried to throw a storm to stop Jesus getting to this man. But what I find absolutely incredible here is the fact that despite the storm, Jesus still pulls through for the man. And I think there's something in this for us. You see, maybe many of us face storms in life. Maybe we go through hard times and we kind of feel like that means that God's abandoned us. God's left us in the middle. Sometimes when we go through storms, we think it signifies that God is so far away from us and that we're alone. What this story speaks of is something quite different. This speaks of Jesus. When the storm hits, it means that help is on its way. It means that Jesus hasn't left us, but he's on his way. And I just think that's so profound for us today, that sometimes when we're in the middle of a storm, we can't make head nor tail, and we can't even feel God. We don't know where he is. Be encouraged today that when the storm is on its way, it doesn't mean that Jesus has left you. It can mean that Jesus is on his way to heal you. You see, the, as I said, the enemy attacks what is valuable. And probably to paint this, I'll use quite a Kiwi example. Imagine that it's February this year and my phone rings from an unknown number. I pick it up and on the other end of the phone is Steve Hansen, the All Blacks coach. He says to me, Kyron, I need you to come over to Japan and help in the World Cup. Kieran Reid, our captain, has just gone down at training with a broken leg and I need you to help us. I need you to lead the troops around the field. I'm sure that if I go over there and when the team pass me the ball, the opposition won't even come near me. I'll just be running around the field because they know that I pose absolutely no skill and absolutely no threat to their game plan of winning. On the other hand, imagine that Richie McCaw's phone rings back in February. It's Steve Hansen again on the other end of the phone and he says, Richie, I've seen you on those uh, ads for the vitamins on TV. You're looking quite fit. I need you to gear up and get over here to Japan. Kieran Reid's gone down in training with a broken leg and we need someone to captain the team. I'm sure that when Richie McCaw gets on the field, half of the opposition will tackle him. Why? Because they know his value to the team and they know that he poses a huge threat to their plan of winning. And I think the same is here. The same here is for the demon-possessed man. You see, the fact that there's a storm, the fact that the opposition is trying to target this man and throw storms and demons his way, I think speaks of the value he is to the kingdom of God. And maybe in our life, the fact that we're going through hardship shows that we are valuable to God. Perhaps I would suggest that the fact that we go through hardship speaks of the opposition that we have and speaks of the fact that we are valuable. Don't forget the fact that you are a valued member of the kingdom of God. You are children of God and you are loved. God will not leave you in those situations. He is with you all the time. 
The other incredible part of this verse is the last little part of it. And I'll read it out again. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. You know, our storms in life aren't only for us, and they're not only between God and us. I think there's something incredible when people join together through hardship. And more than that, when we share of the goodness of God and how he's come through in our hard times. This man here, he doesn't want to go back to the life he was living. He begs Jesus to allow him to get in the boat and go over the other side of the lake. Jesus knew the plan that he had for this man's life. He saved him, and this man went from being a madman to a missionary, saving everyone in his town, and furthermore, the Gentiles. That probably leads to you and I being saved today, and I think that's just an incredible thing to reflect on. A demon-possessed man living among the graves with absolutely no hope goes on to be the first missionary to the Gentiles and saves his town. When God comes through in our lives, I think it's something that we shouldn't just keep to ourselves. I think it's... It's our duty to share the good news of God, how he's come through in the good times and where he's been in the bad times. And so I just want to encourage you today that if you are going through a storm, sometimes other people's storms in the way that they've come through them can be an encouragement to the people who are facing their own storms. If you've gone through a storm and have come out the other side, if you've gone through a storm and you have a story of how Jesus has come through, please, please, beg Colin to share it because I think... It's one thing we need to hear, the way that Jesus is moving in our city and Jesus is moving in our own lives. Sometimes I think we just like to keep that sort of stuff to ourselves, you know, but there's real power in sharing it. There's real power in doing this as a community. And sometimes, like this man, he wanted to go. Sometimes it takes courage to go with Jesus, but sometimes it takes the grace of Jesus to stay. And I just want to encourage you that maybe you're in a season of life where you can't make head nor tail You feel like the only way is that, you know, you kind of want to get out of that place. You might want to leave or whatever. Be encouraged that God sometimes keeps us in situations. We don't know why, but we know at the other end. And, you know, I think our default is that when life gets hard, we kind of just want to tap out. We kind of just want to get out of that situation. If you're facing that situation and you feel like you're going nowhere, feel free to pray for the grace of God. God gives you the grace in these situations and he will never leave you in that situation. Let me pray. God, thank you that you are a good, good father. God, you never leave us or forsake us in the middle of our storms. God, even though we can't feel it, even though sometimes we can't see it, We have the faith that you are a good God, that you are a way maker, you're a miracle worker, and you're working in the middle of our storms. God, give us a fresh sense of your presence in the middle of hard times. Give us a fresh sense of your peace in the hard times to know that a storm doesn't necessarily signify that God is far away, that this storm could signify that hope is on its way. And God, when we do go through storms and come out the other side, give us the courage to share of your goodness. God, let us not just keep bottled up what you've done, but let us explode with the goodness. God, everyone needs to hear of your good news. Give us the courage to share that with one another. Amen.